Hey guys, I'm Dan Kurtzke. Alright, so after a good bit of introductory material last time, finally gonna look at Green Lantern Mosaic, the series. The Jon Stewart solo series. Um, originally, I was gonna be talking about the first three issues of Green Lantern Mosaic today, but when I sat down to read them, let's, let's just say that by the time I got through the first one, I realized that this series was really probably going to end up warranting an episode per issue. Uh, so, so we're just going to focus on number one, okay? Um, all right, where to begin? Jesus. Okay, this I, this is an introductory issue, as it should be, and you know it's it's basically John taking us around the mosaic world, explaining what it is, what its deal is, all the dangers involved in mushing these cultures together, and that's all filtered through John's special brand of psychosis. Um, this issue actually goes out of its way to showcase as many examples of the different races populating the mosaic as possible. As a good, I want to say 20 or so, are either named or shown walking around in the background of panels. It actually, it made me realize that unless I've missed something, they really haven't specified anywhere just how many alien cities were taken to compose the mosaic. Reading the chunk of Green Lantern issues last time, I got the impression that the number was fairly small. But for the purposes of this series, they've opened it up a lot. Which makes sense. I mean, you've got an ongoing series now to play with this, and the more alien species you throw onto Oa, the more storytelling potential you have in the long run. Um, whereas in if you're just taking four issues out of the regular Green Lantern series to go and look over here for a while, you really don't need all that many, because really, how many are you going to use? The one that really stands out to me is the... The Steam Frog of Galabu, we'll call it, which is a frog the size of a large dog with eyes that can hypnotize you. That's right, Futurama fans. Jon Stewart's hanging out with the Hypnotoad. Awesome. <laughs> There's a disturbing bit in here where, where a pair of pink-skinned girls armed with large knives just brutally work Jon over leaving him in a pool of his own blood. His ring is flickering like mad, keeping him alive internally, and it eventually gets him back on his feet. But the implication here is that these girls needed an outlet for their murderous rage, okay? And John gave them one, himself. And there's two references in this issue to the fact that they do this to him once a day. Right? They basically murder John every 24 hours or so. This is Oh my god, uh, I, I suppose you could twist this to the logic of John directing their outburst towards himself so nobody else is in danger, but still! And when you think about how guilty John feels about everything from the destruction of Zanchi to the death of his wife to not being able to send anyone in the Mosaic home, I absolutely believe that John subjects himself to this brutally morbid ritual over and over and over again because he thinks he deserves it. From this issue alone, it's really unclear how long John's been on Oa with the Mosaic, 
but it's certain that a good amount of time has passed. You know, the various aliens seem to be roaming around with relative freedom, so they've begun to get used to each other at least somewhat. Uh, there's even this cool panel where John flies by this tree and kind of shrouded in shadows, you can make out a a presumably human woman sharing like an intimate kiss with some some sort of alien we presume because you can see like the silhouette of antenna off his head so so the cultures are starting to mix they're starting to <laughs> trying to rip out each other's jugulars a little less than they were last time it's, you know baby steps good and john himself mentions how it can become hard to keep track of time there you know, apparently oa doesn't keep the same kind of solar cycle a plant like earth has and it's kind of disorienting. Uh, John at one point even goes from standing on the ground to floating miles above the ground without even really noticing, which he chalks up to not being used to the alien environment, but I think it's safe to say his uneasy mental state plays into that as well. And let's talk about John's mental state for a second, because all of the self-doubt and frantic panic John displayed last time we checked in on him is just 100% gone. He seems, I, I almost want to say sly, you know, he's sure of himself, he's incredibly calm. He talks about the weirdest stuff, like this is the most common thing in the world, which, okay, you live on the mosaic world long enough, and weird becomes normal, especially when your starting point is being an intergalactic superhero to begin with. But still, you know, it's, half the time he's got this look on his face, like he knows the punchline to a joke that nobody else can figure out, you know? It's, almost, it's a little unsettling. Um, oh, he also may or may not think he's God. Yep. <laughs> he makes some good points about how... He makes some good points about the fact that each race brought to Oa brings all their cultural baggage with them. And when you think about all the trouble that humans alone have getting along with other humans when it comes to things like religion, you can only imagine the powder keg that's ready to burst when you, when you mush together faiths from across the stars. I mean, John feels he has to unite them all by becoming that one common thing, that one constant in all their lives that they can all believe in. Which is all well and good. I mean, but to hear John talk about it, it kind of seems like he believes his own hype. You know, there's even a splash page in here that reminds me of that bit in the first issue of, uh, of, uh, <laughs> blank time, Emerald Twilight, when Hal is in the air over his construct Coast City, thinking to himself about how the power of the ring makes him not all that unlike God. Something that's kind of off-putting is the way that I won't say half, but as you're reading it, it feels like half of John's dialogue is him quoting everyone from Frank Lloyd Wright to Walt Whitman to Nietzsche, and then he even throws one in there by Hal Jordan, <laughs> which should show you right there how much reverence John has for Hal. You know, that was present back in the Green Lantern issues from last episode, too, where John coveted Hal's, we'll say his decisiveness and ability to solve problems with ease. But to his credit, the story does call itself out on the heavy use of literary quotes as John hits home a point about learning to find your own voice instead of just regurgitating what others have said before you. Uh, a really interesting bit came when I realized that John's basically an alien. You know, he's a human, but he's living on another planet, and he's living there with mostly other species. You know, he's all but totally cut off from Earth culture. He's all but cut off from the core, as he's got to stay put. And that maybe the fact that he's such an outsider to everybody 
may enable him to effectively protect this entire mosaic of outsiders. You know, he can see them in a way that others couldn't. That's something I really did not think about before reading this issue. You know, and I've I've been aware of the mosaic for years, even though I'd never read any of it, and that that way of looking at it never really occurred to me. That was that was really cool. Uh, to, to further hit home that he's crazy, John's still hearing voices, uh, specifically that of Appa Aliapsa, the old-timer renegade guardian that was killed after creating the mosaic in the first place. Turns out he was trying to mind-control John at the time of his death, so John was left with something of the old-timer's mind in his own. It's implied that John may very well know everything the Guardian knew, which is damn close to everything, which might also not be very helpful when it comes to that whole sanity thing. But at least for now, it seems to manifest to John as these images of the old-timer's disembodied head just floating there, speaking to him every now and then, until John forces him to shut up. Uh, On top of that, we do get something that feels decidedly more superhero comic book-y in Air Bunnies, uh, in that we get a flashback to John recharging his ring at the central battery when some sort of energy form seems to climb inside of him. He passes out from it. John's only vaguely aware of it, and he knows it as, you know, Air Bunnies again, something red. That's all he can describe it as. It's apparently added one more voice to John's head, though. <laughs> um, we haven't seen it rise to the surface the way the old-timer has yet. Um, well, I guess that we know of. At this point, anything could have happened. We have no idea. Wow. Uh, I can really, really understand someone trying out this first issue and then never coming back for number two. It's absolutely nothing like what you'd expect to get out of a Green Lantern book. Hell, a superhero book in general. On top of everything else, I don't even think I've mentioned that John spends 100% of this issue breaking the fourth wall. Looking and talking directly to the reader. <laughs> you know, he, he never makes reference to knowing he's in a comic book, but he's still blatantly talking to us. It's almost jarring that this was written by Gerard Jones, the exact same writer who gave us the material I covered last episode. This is nothing remotely like that. Add to that Cully Hamner's artwork, which it'll have to grow on me. Even though I can see it fitting this kind of project, it'll, it'll have to grow on me. And the first page of this issue really seems appropriate. You know, it's John sitting amongst this cluster of bizarre alien wildlife. You know, there's crystal balls with wings flying around. There's tiny people everywhere. Or there's these weird tendril plants. He's sitting on a chair made of faces. He simply asks the reader, Do you want to see something weird? Oh my god. (laughs) Um, Let's end on something kind of poignant here. Alright, um... Probably the most interesting part of the issue for me was finding a new way to look at Jon Stewart and this book in general. I've always thought of the title Green Lantern Mosaic as referring to the Mosaic City itself. But the more we scratch the surface here and see the light shine brighter and brighter on everything swirling around inside Jon's head, his issues, his beliefs, his reasonings, his views of himself, on others, on society, on religion, on history, and its relationship to the present... John Stewart is a mosaic. And that's issue one. <laughs> I am so goddamn curious to see just how 
accurately, this sets the tone for the next 17 issues. Because, uh, my God, is gonna... I'm still gonna go through this. Don't Don't get the impression that I'm not. It's just going to be a completely different kind of ride than I thought it was gonna be. But you know what? That's gonna make for some fun podcasting. So, until then... You can email me at dan at lanterncast.com or the lanterncast in general at lanterncast at gmail.com. Too many ats in that sentence, Jesus. Um, oh, we have, yeah, you know, I said I was going to get the phone number for this time, and we actually got a new, new phone number, so let me just pull that up. Yeah, okay, leave us a voicemail at 206 202 1159. Um, what else do we have? We have Facebook. Go to Facebook.com. Just search LanternCast. Um, go talk to us on the forums. TheComicForums.com. Scroll on down to L for LanternCast. It's all alphabetically. We got a good, pretty tight-knit community there. It's, it's small, but it's good. We like it. We like our people. Come be one of our people. Come be liked. <laughs> and I think that's it. All right, so I'll, I'll talk to you next time.